the men and women that you're talking to that are in those CTO, director, senior buyer, senior manager roles yeah. did not get there because they're passive people. These are some of the most competitive folks you will ever meet in your entire life. If you go in there, one of my favorite tricks was like, hey, Bob, I just want to let you know, I just came from Sally's office and she's got some great numbers and here's where they are and, and here's where your numbers are against hers. And not saying this, but I just want to let you know, I do have to give this to your boss, Sam, later on, and he's going to see all of this. I just wanted to give you a heads up, right? All of a sudden, they're like, well, how did she do that? Oh, you sit there and go, oh, well, you know, she asked me six months ago if I knew a diverse supplier that could do X, Y, and Z. And by goodness, we found one and they fit just perfectly. The only thing you see them <laughs> stare at you from across the desk and go, so I have a project in eight months and I, I need a diverse supplier on it. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Matt Colicello, in for Chloe Guidry-Reed, joined by host Adam Moore for an episode where we'll be going back to the basics and breaking down the fundamental reasons why you need a supplier diversity program in your business. If your company is still operating without a supplier diversity program, it's crucial that you implement one as soon as possible to bolster your company with constant innovation, high quality goods and services, and enable you to make the impact you want to make in your community. Today, we'll give you insights on why supplier diversity is so important and why your business needs it in the contemporary corporate environment. So Adam, let's jump in. Yeah, this sounds great. I, I haven't been on this side of the desk in a while, so kind of excited. Yeah, today Adam is is kind of going to be the interviewee, and I will be sort of the interviewer. So, Adam, yes, sir. Let's truly start from the basics. We know a lot of our listeners are in the world of supplier diversity, but a lot of our listeners are coming to this show. Um, from procurement and supply chain and other business units looking for more information about what supplier diversity is. So let's begin there. What is supplier diversity and why is it so vital to companies now? Yeah. And I think that's a great first question, right? Because we have to define the what, right? I think a lot of people jump on the bandwagon of, we need to start a supplier diversity program. And they look for somebody and go, go do it. And that's about all the instructions that's given. Right. right? Uh, and so that's it's tough. It's really tough. So really look, defining what it is and, and why it's necessary is, is, is crucial. Right. And supplier diversity in a nutshell is an intentional program that does outreach to diverse suppliers and diverse suppliers are, you know, the diversity groups that come to mind when I say that. And it is working with your business units, your buyers, your strategic sourcing group to make sure that they build relationships with and have opportunities to include uh, su suppliers that are owned by diverse persons. Um, and it's it's a lot to do. It, there's a lot of relationship building, a lot of handshaking, um, a lot of saying the same things over and over again. But that's, that's kind of supplier diversity in a 
a, a nutshell. And and obviously I'm underselling the importance of it. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't have had a successful podcast for two years now <laughs> talking about this topic, right? There's a lot of nuance that goes into that. But it's 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 vital in today's modern business landscape, right? Consumers are savvy. And especially the younger consumers, your 30s to 20s, they are checking up on you, right? They're looking for what are your statements on DEI, ESG, CSR, supplier diversity. These are now common topics um, in these generations, and it, it's a vital piece of their buying, right? That 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 goes into right. their decision. the The brand loyalty of you know this is where my parents, this is where my grandparents banked, shopped, bought. It's just not relevant any longer. Right. It, right. It's really what companies are helping making the world better. And supplier diversity is one of those parts that really does that. Right. And I think the amazing thing about supplier diversity is it touches a lot of different facets of the, your DEI and your ESG strategies that you didn't even think about. Yeah. In a certain way, it's it's one of the primary ways that they intersect your yes. your DEI and and ESG practices, yeah, completely agree. Yes, supplier diversity starts to be that commonality, right? That common touch point, uh, and so it's it's one of those things where if you don't have one, you need to seriously look at starting one because it's it's going to become not a nice to have, and we're starting to see that now. It's not so much a nice to have as it is a this needs to be part of your programming, uh, and it's not just consumer pressure, right? I mean, there right. are. If, if you want to contract with the federal government um, in many states and municipalities, and then also if you're working with other companies that have requirements for the companies that they contract with to demonstrate diverse spend. So can you talk a little bit about, in, a, in addition to the kind of consumer pressure that's, that's out there, what are the kinds of regulations uh, that companies are needing to think about? And then also sort of policies of companies that they could be working with. Yeah. You know, and it, there's a lot out there, right. And it, and it depends and it, it depends and it varies. It's kind of redundancy, but it, <laughs> it, it does matter, right? right? It matters the industry that you're in. If you're in a highly regulated, in, regulated industry, and I spent a majority of my career uh, in the banking finance insurance industries, highly regulated, and you have regulations around your supplier diversity programs. Uh, When I first started, it was a, do you have one? Yes, no. It was a check the box exercise, right? And we Mm -hmm. always went to the bank for saying, yes, we do. But then it grew. It's like, okay, well, what is your program doing? Demonstrate that you're doing something, right? So we'd have to show them like increases in spend. And we spent money here when we ran these programs and we sit on these panels and we, you know, we're part of this group and that group and we attend these conferences. And they're like, okay, that's great. So now explain to us how that's making impact, right? So as the world matures, so does supplier diversity. So does the in-depth of your investigators, right? Uh, the, mm-hmm. When you get audited in the federal, in the financial sphere by your federal regulators, they're looking at these type of things, right? It starts to become, be. yeah. yeah, as they should be. I know I've talked about it on the show before, but I think that it is worth repeating. I was with SunTrust when it merged with BB&T and became Truist. Well, on the session floor, the presidents were asked, why should we let this merger happen? Right. So they're in they're on the Senate floor being asked this question. Biggest bank merger in 10 years. 
no, two, two decades, two decades. I'm sorry. They said, amongst many things, one of their points was, we have an amazing supplier diversity program and we want to grow it X fold because we're going to be able to have that much impact as a bigger bank. Wow. Right. So when supplier diversity starts to become something that rolls off your president's lips in front of senators, that's when you know you've, you've got the ears of the right people, right? But right. they understand the gravity, the gravitas of what are we doing here? What are we touching? What are we impacting? Right. And so you start to see that also in B2B transactions on a lot of the teams that I have been on and helped build, we had one person dedicated to RFP responses because in B2B, you go out to bid just like everybody on this shows, you know, used to doing is you're trying to win business. So do big corporations, right. ultimately there's going to be a section on supplier diversity. And so we actually had to have a person dedicated to that, to be that touch point, you know, for these people filling out these RFPs to give them what is our spend data? Who are we associated with? What are we doing? How are we increasing year after year? Right? So it's not just so much companies are doing it because they realize that supplier diversity can be that X factor inside their supply chain. It's becoming mission critical to win new business, right? So you got regulation pressure, you have consumer pressure, you have B2B pressure, right? And then you just have, I keep telling people, supplier diversity officers are essentially one of your risk teams, right? They're one of your first layers of risk defense because that's reputational risk. Your supplier diversity teams help you in your reputational risk department. Right. And it, when you stop and think about it, that makes sense. Right. If you have a good supplier diversity team out there that understands the mission, understands what you're trying to accomplish, understands how it marries into the corporation at whole, that's a huge story to start telling. Right. And that bring then that helps reduce that risk in the eyes of consumers, creditors, other people trying to do business with you. So they help you fight that reputational risk as well. So on the topic of risk. I know that having a diverse supply chain is also a, mis a risk mitigation strategy that isn't just about reputation. It's really about the sort of more traditional um, risk mitigation that we think of when we think about supply chain. Can you talk a little bit about how having a diverse supply chain is a risk mitigation strategy? Yeah, I'd be glad to. I think this is actually a really exciting topic to talk about. And there's a lot of different ways you can approach it, think about it. Uh, and then, of course, it also depends on the industries that we're discussing, right? right? But right. if you think about a traditional supply chain model, right, you usually have a supplier providing key goods and services, that type of thing. Well, when you look at the risk of that, you always want to have multiple suppliers, right? Or you have a prime supplier that's giving you 90%, and then you have two or three suppliers that are giving you the other 10%. So if something happens to your prime, you always have somebody in backup right? Diverse suppliers fit really well into that second and tertiary supplier role, right? Maybe they're not ready to scale up to provide you 90% of your business, but they're there ready to take five, six, seven, eight, right? Of that business and help and help provide that second line. And then we saw it happen big time during the pandemic, it was diverse suppliers that really stepped up and was bringing in the personal protection equipment, PPE. Diverse suppliers have pivoted on a dime and was like, oh, yeah, I got masks. I got gloves. I got cover ups. You know, I mean, hospitals were living and dying by our diverse suppliers bringing in that PPE because the bigger suppliers couldn't pivot fast enough. 
they're locked into contracts, they're locked into models, they're locked into policies and procedures, and they couldn't they couldn't move fast enough. The, our small businesses pivoted quickly, and I have to say, I think we did as well as we did during the pandemic because of them recognizing the need and filling it quickly. So there is that, right? If you have an emergency, you're going to find out that your small and diverse suppliers can pivot faster, make decisions quicker, and retool faster than your bigger boys can. Yes, yes. And implement the necessary innovation. Exactly, exactly. I cannot tell you how many service managers I have talked to that have been in a pinch. The diverse supplier came through and they're like, oh my goodness, I would have never survived X event if this company didn't come in and help us get through it. Right. And, and it's a difference in mentality, too. I mean, we can talk about different structures, how a small business is, is much more mem- nimble because there's less management overhead in the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. You know, nine times out of 10, you have the owner or his lieutenant at the negotiation table with you, right? And you're not having to go up three steps to get a decision-maker. You literally have that person sitting at the table with you. So, yeah, you know, they're a big, big, big game changer. And I can't tell you how many times I've run RFPs and you've got uh, like a champion challenger type scenario and you've got your established supplier in and they're like, yeah, this is the best deal we can give you. And you send them going, I know there's way more room to move on this price than you're giving me. Right. Then all of a sudden you bring in a diverse supplier and all of a sudden that price starts dropping like out of nowhere. Like, oh, well, you know what? Yeah, we can give you that extra 5%. You know, now you don't ever... You don't want to do that to your diverse suppliers, right? You don't want to use them as a bludgeoning stick, right? Because you want to bring them in where they can actually win the business. But the point being is as soon as they realize that I'm not scared about using a small supplier, their entire attitude changes at the negotiation table. Well, and I feel like it's also important to name this, despite not wanting to promote trying to um, undercut what diverse suppliers are are offering in terms of correct i think it's important to name because there is this this misconception that working with small and diverse businesses means it's going to be more expensive i hear this again and again that like there's a concern that if you work with a diverse business it's just going to be more expensive and less efficient where does that where does that come from and and what you're saying really is is countering that uh, narrative where does that misconception come from yeah, you know, that's a great question, Matt. And I think it just comes from the idea that we often in supplier diversity speak, say small and diverse, mm-hmm. right? We usually roll the two together um, because that's the that's the group of suppliers that we're representing, right? Um, and depending on how your business defines a diverse supplier, a a small business could be considered diverse depending on what you're trying to who you're trying to outreach to and what you're trying to accomplish right so typically you'll hear us say small and diverse so i think some of it just comes from the normal nomenclature we use in our day-to-day supplier diversity speak and then you know it is a traditional thought that in corporate america you know the the uh, saying is nobody gets fired for hiring e and y right so there's a degree of comfort of if I'm going out on a project and you're not a multinational conglomerate, there is a chance for fail and I could be opening myself up to risk. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then you start talking you say, hey, I've got this diverse supplier. They've never heard of him or her. So then all of a sudden 
they've got this image of two people in a garage, right? Um, and a filing cabinet and maybe like an Apple IIc. You know, it's crazy what comes to their minds when you're talking to these folks. So I have found that one of the best ways to kind of help them over this fear, right, is to find a way, find something that they're having trouble with, right? Some upcoming project, or maybe they're just like, we just need somebody can kind of confirm that we're heading in the right direction, Mm -hmm. right? What I love to do is when I found I had something like that, I go to them and say, look, let me bring in diverse supplier X. And we're going to tell them there's no business on the table. This isn't an RFP. You're not getting interviewed for a contract. We're truly bringing you in so you can answer this question and show everybody, you know, what you can do. Show folks, you know, your level of knowledge and insight on this topic. I have yet to meet a diverse supplier that was like, yeah, no, I don't. I think I'm going to pass on that. I'm not taking that opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Adam, but no thanks. You know, they're all like, yeah, when? I can be there today, right? So then the business doesn't feel pressure. Right. Because a lot of times I think what we run into in supplier diversity is the business feels like we're pressuring them into choosing our diverse supplier that we bring in. So if you set this up as like, look, this is a meet and greet. They're going to come in. They're going to talk to you. That's it. No business. Just conversation. Yeah. What I feel like we're touching on here is the the role that change management and kind of cultural change within an organization plays in having a successful sub- supplier diversity program. So I think it's important to to really state that, that if you're going to have a successful suppl- supplier diversity practice at your company, do expect that you're going to be doing the legwork, you're going oh, to yes. be having the conversations, the meetings, facilitating these kinds of connections you're going to make between diverse suppliers and decision makers in the company that these are all having to happen because there has to be some perception change, some culture change within the organization. Yes, big time. And you have to be, as a supplier diversity manager or on the team, you have to be that agent of change. I absolutely, positively have to be that agent of That's change. That's your role. It is. It is. You know, a lot of people think, oh, my role is to go meet suppliers and bring them in and get them to register in the portal. Life's going to be great. And I'm like, no, that's like the least amount of your worries, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, that's that's the least amount of your worries. Your biggest role is you have to be the change agent. You have to be the positive force with the smile on your face, ready to you know go and politic. Uh, honestly, at the end of the day, right? I used to say this all the time to one of my old bosses. I'm like, well, I'm off to go evangelize the business again today, right? And go into their meetings and and give talks just like we're having today on the show. You know, answer questions, explain the whys and the hows and, and that type of thing. And, and just generally get people to warm up to it, right? Because all too often what happens is you come in as a supplier diversity person. Everybody starts to roll their eyes like, okay, here we go. Going to get hit over the head with the, why wasn't a diverse supplier included? You're doing it wrong, blah, blah, blah. But if you come and say, look, I just, I really want to help. How can I help you, right? How can I help you find, understand, feel better, get comfortable with, right? So if you have that kind of more of a consultative attitude, I find you open way more doors than the, you know, we have a, sometimes you do have to go down the route of, yo, we have a goal and I need you to get on board. But a lot of times if you come in and go, I want to help you reach that goal, they're way more receptive. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's not to say that supplier diversity professionals don't have a right to feel extremely frustrated with the practices as they are. Correct. And and the lack of progress that's been made. But in terms of getting things done, diplomacy moves things forward more quickly than outright, what shall we say, yes. uh, indignation. And remember, too, that the men and women that you're talking to that are in those CTO, director, senior buyer, senior manager roles yeah. did not get there because they're passive people. These are some of the most competitive folks you will ever meet in your entire life. If you go in there, one of my favorite tricks was like, hey, Bob, I just want to let you know, I just came from Sally's office and she's got some great numbers and here's where they are and, and here's where your numbers are against hers. And not saying this, but I just want to let you know, I do have to give this to your boss, Sam, later on, and he's going to see all of this. I just wanted to give you a heads up, right? All of a sudden, they're like, well, how did she do that? Oh, and you sit there and go, oh, well, you know, she asked me six months ago if I knew a diverse supplier that could do X, Y, and Z. And by goodness, we found one, and they fit just perfectly. But I was saying you see them <laughs> stare at you from across the desk and go, so I have a project in eight months, and I, I need a diverse supplier on it. It is amazing, right? All you have to do is dangle that carrot of somebody's got a better number than you. And all of a sudden you are their best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing I wanted to to ask you to talk about is when you are kind of acting as a change agent and having these conversations, thankfully, even if your company doesn't have a supplier diversity program or practice, or it's just beginning, what it probably does have is some semblance of larger goals around sustainability and corporate social responsibility. So you're kind of going in able to have grounding in a framework or frameworks that the C-suite has already signed off on. Can you just talk about how to do the work of tying supplier diversity into larger company goals around sustainability and, and CSR? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And what happens is, is all of a sudden you start to become part of the CES, ESG CSR conversation. Mm -hmm. And what you want to do there in that conversation is find out who is in charge of that, uh, that program. Usually you have an ESG officer that's right. running that, right? And you can sit there and, and bring them aside and say, look, I'm touching all of the folks that you want us to outreach to, right? I'm, I'm in those communities you know, by proxy of what I'm doing with diverse suppliers. And I am interfacing with the different agencies and NGOs, you know, of these organizations that you want us to be kind of in front of. And oh, by the way, the amount of volunteer hours I get to credit because of what I do for a job eight hours a day inside this company will blow your mind, right? So the very first hook you said is volunteer hours because they will pick up on that quicker than anything. Because what a lot of people don't realize is 90% of what we do as supplier diversity officers counts as volunteer hours. Oh, wow. Think about that, right? Every time that I go speak on a panel, that I prep for the panel, that I travel to the panel, that I spend on site for the panel, all of that's volunteer hours, okay? Anytime I go do matchmaking, volunteer hours. Anytime I do mentoring, volunteer hours. Anytime I sit on a committee to talk about supplier diversity, volunteer hours. Anytime I chair something about supplier diversity, volunteer hours. So you see where I'm going with this, right? The amount of volunteer hours that you start to rack up snowballs. 
And then if you have a department of three people that are each doing all of this, the volunteer hours start to become insane, right? So they'll hear that and they'll be like, oh, hang on, <laughs> right? Let's talk more about what you guys are doing. So that's a great first hook to set. And once you kind of get them on your side, that really starts kind of opening doors and ears to what you're trying to accomplish. The other thing to do is if you can have a, a economic impact study done, we talk about that numerous times on the show. Uh, that really gets ESG's attention, right? Because then all of a sudden they're sitting there going, oh, hang on. You mean we're putting money back into these different you know, groups that we want to help? And we're like, yeah, just by doing business, we're making all of this impact. So it starts to become a bigger story than just us doing the right thing and engaging diverse suppliers. Yes, yes. I love that. I love that. What we've been talking about so far is building a supplier diversity practice within an organization. And I think it's so important that we also talk about the ways that supplier diversity isn't just an intra-organizational practice, but an inter-organizational practice where, as you mentioned, you're going out, you're sitting on panels, and you're, you're really participating in a larger conversation and and larger action, ideally, with other corporations. With you know, I'm going to throw out a few of the different kinds of stakeholders that we that we've had on the show. With maybe chambers of commerce or initiatives under those chambers of commerce, maybe an industry group or association of supplier diversity professionals from a number of different organizations in a region uh, or from a particular industry. So you have these economic development agencies as well where you're you're potentially interacting with a lot of different kinds of stakeholders to build an ecosystem. Can you talk about what that looks like, why it has to be done? As you said, it takes a lot of volunteer hours. And when I hear volunteer hours, I also obviously am hearing unpaid work. A lot of a lot of work outside of the organization. Can you talk about what that looks like and why? Yeah. So let me set let me set the record straight on just one thing. So with volunteer hours, that doesn't necessarily mean unpaid because I do enjoy a paycheck. Uh, my bank enjoys it that I have a paycheck. So even though I'm doing it on quote unquote company time, it's still considered volunteer hours. Okay, I understand. Right? Yeah. So just want to make sure we are clear on that. Some of the stuff I do for supplier diversity is truly unpaid, but for it to count does not mean that it has to be unpaid. I see. That's okay. a that's a common misconception. So I think that was good that we were able to kind of bring that out organically that in the conversation. Yeah. yeah. But what does that mean from like a networking or an intra networking standpoint, right? Diver supplier diversity professionals talk. Yeah. Not only do they talk, they move around and they stay in the supplier diversity circle somehow, some way. Either they've gone from company A to company B supplier diversity program, maybe to take over. They are possibly going from supplier diversity back into sourcing, but they're still very integrated into supplier diversity, right? So that's number one thing to remember is supplier diversity professionals do move and they take that knowledge with them. They take that list of contacts with them, right? So maybe you, maybe you talk to the professional over here when they were with company A and you didn't really get anywhere, but they came over to company B and they remember you because you were just polite and you developed a relationship with them and that type of thing. You're like, oh, hey, now I do have an opportunity for that company. Boom, you're in, 
And I think it was interesting. I was involved in a conversation, you know, obviously I talk all the time, but I was talking to a, a supplier friend of mine and he goes, Adam, you have to remember, I'm not talking to you and building a relationship right now because of where you're sitting. He's like, I'm building a relationship with you so that in five to 10 years, when you're three positions down the river and you're in another position to make different decisions, he's like, that's, that's where I'm trying to drive the relationship, right? So we have to kind of keep that in mind is sometimes the relationship is not being built for the current situation. We want to build the relationship for kind of the downstream relationship. Yes. And then you have to remember, like I said, in all of these organizations, in these NGOs, on these committees, these different things that we sit on, we interact with our peers from different companies on a daily basis. And in that conversation, typically we'll sit there and go, man, I have got this project or I have got this opportunity. I know of nobody. Then three other professionals will go, oh, have you talked to this person or that person or this person? Let me send you this contact information. So you have to remember we're network you're networking with the supplier diversity interface the supplier diversity professionals are networking within themselves and they're sharing their top contacts with other supplier diversity professionals right so it just you start to have this kind of compound networking effect if you will and that's the biggest thing and we all realize that to have a successful supplier diversity program, we can't do it in and of ourselves, right? I, I can't think that I can run my little program in a bubble and not interact and, and not participate and it be successful, mm-hmm. right? I have to be cross-pollinated by groups inside my particular industry vertical and groups outside my particular industry vertical. Because it's always good to hear about how groups that are not in your industry are doing supplier diversity. And you might not be able to replicate what they do one for one, but you might sit there and go, you know what? That's a great idea. If I changed this little piece of it, I could have done it. Exactly. That's going to fit in perfectly to what I'm trying to do. So, you know, I think that's the biggest part about the intranetwork. And and somebody trying to start a program, it is going to feel like you're on an island, right? And you're going to sit there and go, I am the knowledge holder for my group of supplier diversity. It's not like I can go have somebody mentor me. So I can go talk to the person who had the position before me, right? It's kind of like, this is it. (laughs) You know, the program knowledge base starts now and I'm building it. Remember, there are so many supplier diversity professionals out there. Everybody is more than willing to talk to you. If you talk to your different industry groups inside supplier diversity, the NMSDC has several industry vertical groups made up of supplier diversity professionals and advocates that'll be more than happy to take you under their wing and help working with you. Many of them even have kind of a supplier diversity 101 uh, white paper, right? To kind of help you know, what should I be working on? What should I be concentrating on? So you, it's going to feel like it, but you're not alone. And you have this podcast. Yes, which is in and of itself a huge resource, kind of curricular resource on best practices and even ideas for who to reach out to. Um, because we've had so many people from from many different industries yes. who have shared their insights into how to build a supplier diversity program and, and why it's necessary. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm wondering if we could zoom out further and just talk about how supplier diversity contributes to industry-wide growth and innovation. Yeah. Yeah, it really does in that I've made this statement several times. If you're running a supplier diversity department and you consider yourself to only be 
um, non-revenue generating arm of the company, you're doing supplier diversity wrong. Mm. Right. Because more than likely, we are working for firms that are trying to sell something to somebody. Right. Maybe you don't have a huge catalog, but you're trying to sell something to somebody. And more than likely, those customers are the ones you're talking to every day as a supplier diversity professional. Right. I'm going to go back to my time at a bank. And uh, obviously, banks love small businesses because we have entire departments devoted to them. Right. And I was talking to one of my partners in in the small business division. And he's like, man, I really need to talk to more Hispanic business owners. He's like, I have got to just really increase our presence in the Hispanic community. And I looked at this guy. I was like, you know what I do, right? <sighs> he goes, well, sort of. He's like, you, you do supplier diversity. I'm like, okay, who do you think I talk to, to bring in those diverse suppliers? And also you could see him connect the dots. Mm-hmm. Right? The look on his face was like, Oh, snap. You're talking to the people we want to talk to. I was like, exactly. And guess exactly. what I can invite you to? Every place that I go and I have to set up for a trade show, you can be right there. Because it's fascinating how many times people walk up to me, see Truist Bank and go, hey, I've got a banking question. I'm like, hey, I am so not a banker, right? I, I'm a supplier <laughs> diversity guy. I cannot help you with your account. I will find you the right person, but I personally cannot help you, right? And so it was amazing. We and, and then what happened was we started getting funding from this department because they wanted to be part of it, right? Wow. They wanted to be part of the supplier diversity party. And exactly. So, you know, we're expanding the business just by being in the communities that our sales teams want to be in. And we are a natural conduit. That is such an excellent example of the impact. Yeah. It's just. Yes. Yeah. And and so then for like the innovation part of it, mm-hmm. you know, th- these entrepreneurs uh, are, are constantly thinking, right? If you want to find a group of people whose brains never shut off, find an entrepreneur. And they're always thinking about new ways to do things. And I can't tell you how many times I would have somebody come into a matchmaking event and go, Adam, I've got an exciting new product, right? And And I really think this might help revolutionize it. And, you know, probably for every... 20 ideas pitched to me, one kind of started to get some traction, but it was the supplier diversity being the conduit to make the connection of, Hey, I've got a supplier with a brand new idea. Let me introduce you to my innovation team. Right. And then the innovation team can sit there and go, that's a great idea. We'd like to actually give you money, Mr. Or Mrs. Entrepreneur, so that you can help develop that idea further. So we can see where we can take it or possibly buy the technology from you. Yes. Yeah, so it so supplier diversity becomes a new gateway for innovative partners, right? To start a relationship with the company. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. It comes back to what we talked at the top of the show: is supplier diversity becomes the crossroads, the common touch point for so many different areas of the business that might otherwise operate siloed. When we think about, and, and this is kind of the, the last question to leave people with on a, on, a, on a big scale, supplier diversity programs are, well, first of all, like we started off discussing, demanded by the public and also in certain cases required by the federal government and more and more required by you know potential corporate partners, all first and foremost because 
of this desire to create a truly equitable and inclusive economy. And I'd love to kind of close with with just thinking about that. In your experience working on sort of both sides, both uh, for companies that are um, small and diverse, as well as in supplier diversity practices at really, really large corporations. Yes, <laughs> yes. This work is not just about individual companies. It's not just about individual industries. It's really about creating meaningful and lasting change in, in an economy that was built and has, you know, in the present, we've inherited this sort of legacy of exclusion, of inequality. Can you just talk about what you've seen change and the kind of energy that you see people bringing to supplier diversity when it comes to fostering economic equity and inclusion. Yeah, and that's a very exciting topic for me, actually. You know what? I used to rib my DEI officers, and I'm like, okay. you know, this what you guys are doing is great. Honestly, I, I love it. We have to have it, you know, but you're affecting a person or a family. I was like, supplier diversity, we're affecting entire communities. And and so that would be kind of my little rib to them. It's like, yeah, you're doing a great job, but <laughs> And that's the whole thing, right? I mean, when we start studying economic uh, exclusion or generational wealth and generational wealth gaps, these are big, huge topics. And really, supplier diversity is a key piece of that puzzle for us to help correct and start to correct that social ill, right? Supplier diversity allows the intentionality and impetus of businesses to spend money with diverse companies in a safe and secure way. We talked about risk so that more money is spent with diverse suppliers. And then those diverse suppliers turn around and spend that money inside the communities in, you know, in which they reside. And by spending money inside those communities, you do all sorts of things like increase educational levels. You help close generational wealth gaps by generations of business owners, by being able to create uh, salaries that are at or above the minimum so people aren't living paycheck to paycheck and can start saving, right? And then the economic programs, especially when we look at the banking and financing sector, are doing a great job of like, let us show you how to do your business finance. Let us show you how to do your personal finances. Let us put programs in place to help explain economic health and wellness in a way that makes sense and, and, and can and can can be communicated to a community. Supplier diversity is the conduit which all of that goodness can run through, right? And, and when you start looking at it from that bigger picture, right? Supplier diversity is truly that rock that's thrown into the pond that creates the ripples that expand out from it, right? And if you think about that model, that's how we start working on changing the conversation of economic uh, disparity and generational wealth issues. And that, dear listeners, is why you need a supplier diversity program. Yes, most <laughs> definitely. Most All definitely. of that. <laughs> so, Adam, thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. For, this was fun. I appreciate it. This was great. This was great. I loved getting to just kind of ask you a lot of questions. This has been wonderful. It's um, been awesome. So to everyone listening, thank you so much for being here. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Guidry-Reed and at Adam Moore. I'm at 
Matt Colicello. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out our previous shows. There are many and they are incredible. And stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.